How many of you make New Year's resolutions? Nobody ever wants to admit it. Just a couple, just a smattering. Okay, how many of you have ever made and kept a New Year's resolution for the whole year? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple, a couple, yep, yep. See, I don't make New Year's resolutions because by the 3rd or the 4th of January, I don't even remember what I resolved to do let alone, you know, follow through on it, it's terrible. But I think the reason why New Year's resolutions are, 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 there's such a high failure rate is that we just make them like on the spur of the moment. So, you know, it's like 11.59 and, and 30 seconds and the ball's halfway down in Times Square and you're watching, see, I'm from the East Coast, so we'd watch the ball drop for, and that was the new year. What, is there something you do in this? I've never, I've been 15 years in the central time zone. I don't know what it is that you do here for like, is there like a, a, a something equivalent to the ball drop? Okay, I'm assuming that because I haven't heard anything definitive, no. So tell me after the service if there really is. Because, you know, so if I'm going to watch it, I have to watch it at 11 o'clock. You know, and um, it's just, there's just something missing in it for me here. So it's almost like I have to go to the East Coast to celebrate New Year's Eve and then, you know, come back. But, but the ball would be halfway down and all, oh, I'm going to lose 100 pounds this year. Or it's halfway down and I, I'm going to save 50% of every paycheck this year. You know, you just make some, uh, you know, off the cuff, I'm going to keep my lawn manicured the whole year. And you never tend to keep New Year's resolutions. So we're at the end of this five-week series uh, called... Um, the uh, Advent Conspiracy, and we're in the, in the week that's called What If? What If? So we're right on the edge of the new year, and I mean, I'm wondering, you know, what if? What if I have a, like, the, the best year of my life, right? You got all these programs and these books and stuff, you know, you can have the best year of your life. It's funny how they always talk about that the last half of December, right? You never really hear about that in, like, March or April when the weather's getting nice, that it could be, like, the best year of your life. But the best year of your life, what if? Uh, what if this happened? What if that happened? So we're right at the end of the year. We've talked about worship fully, spend less, give more, love all, and now what if? You know, there's some things that some of us, uh, a lot of us, have been working on here at the church since like April. So some of the things we're going to talk about in the next five weeks after this Sunday some of the future vision of Community Heights, our vision together, is stuff that's not, it's not like the last second, hey, let's come up with this the last week of the year because we just need to have some kind of a New Year's resolution. But these are things that a bunch of people have been talking about, have been working on, have even begun implementing over the last six months, eight months, ten months, almost over a year now. And so we're, we're finally going to talk about them. And, you know, I, maybe I'm building it up too much. Because, you know, if we're believers, what is there, right? What is there? Our mission, to love God, to love our neighbor, to make disciples. It's our one job, right? That's our, that's our one mission. So we love and we make disciples. But as we begin talking in the next five weeks, we're talking about how are we going to do that? Particularly for us here at Community Heights, what is that going to look like? What avenues are we going to take to accomplish those, that mission? 
So what's the vision of our church over the next five years? Five years. We're going to talk about that. But to kind of lay the groundwork, I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want us to look at something that Paul talked about. And the book of 2 Corinthians is awesome. If you read the first four and a half chapters, right up to chapter 5, verse 13, it's really good stuff. I wish, you know, I wish we had the time to do that, but we don't have the time to do that this morning. So we're dropping in chapter 5, verse 14, where Paul says that love compels. Love compels. So there's five things in these few verses that I want, you, I want to point out to you. And then I want to talk to you about what if for a few minutes. How many of you have been sick in the last week? Colds, crud? Yeah, a lot of you. Me too. Me too. So I'm popping the halls this morning, so please just excuse me. Love compels. 16 months ago, when I first got here, we did this series, and I put the, these boxes up on the platform, and the, the boxes over here, the good boxes, not the anti-boxes, had the foundation of love. That love is the foundation of our life. And Paul says here in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5 that Christ's love compels us. It compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. And therefore, all died. So in the death of Christ, all of us died. All of our sins were paid for on the cross of Christ. All of us were, in a sense, have the ability to be put to death on the cross, crucified with Christ, so that we can live with him through faith. So he says, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live in him should no longer live for themselves. Now here's a little, here's a little sneak peek, right, into our purpose. But for him who died for them (coughs) and was raised again. So our purpose is to live for him. The one who died for us and was raised again. That's our purpose. And we're compelled toward that purpose by the love of Christ. Now, I marked in my Bible, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. You might remember it. It says this, and Paul also is writing this. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Then he goes on to say in verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. There's a whole lot of theology there. There's a whole lot of truth. There's a lot of good news there. If righteousness could be gained through obedience to the law, then why did Jesus die? Let's just obey the law and we'll get the righteousness. But it can't be gained that way because we can't obey the law. And he says, I don't set aside the grace of God. So, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. Second thing I see in this passage, there's new creation. This new creation has come. The reason why we can live for the one who died for us is that we're new. We're different. We're different. 
spiritual life and spiritual birth produces a new person. We're different. We're not like we were. In verse 16, Paul says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. A worldly point of view is saying, yeah, you see up there, this light that, where that black is, there's nothing beyond that. In fact, there's nothing beyond what you can see. We're all that there is in the world. That's a worldly point of view. A worldly point of view is that we're all here, but there's nothing after this. Everything is right now. Everything is physical. When we die, we die like a dog. We go in the ground, we're gone. That's a worldly point of view. He's saying, we don't regard anybody anymore. Like, they're just a person. They're going to die. They have no future. It doesn't matter. No, we're spiritual beings who live forever, and that's important. He says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we didn't see him as anybody special, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. New creation, we're not the same. Therefore, think about this. If, we, if we're new, we're different, we're a new creation, for what purpose? For what purpose? Just so I can have a better life. Is, is that it, really? So that, so that on the first day of the week, we can show up in this room with other people and sing songs and hear somebody bore us teaching. Is that all there is to it? So you become a new creation so that you can look different and take on a different lifestyle. No, no, no. A new creation for a new purpose. In other words, you couldn't do what we're going to talk about in the next couple verses. You couldn't do it unless God made you new and gave you that as a purpose. You couldn't do it as somebody who had a worldly point of view or somebody that had no connection to God, to Jesus Christ. Let's go to number three, because here's what God gives us. He's given us, as new creatures, both a ministry, that means a service, a job to do, a mission, and the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation is when you bring two things that are apart, you bring them back together. If a couple separates and then they work out their difference, they're reconciled and they're brought back together. And in verse 18, Paul says, speaking of everything he's written to the Corinthians so far, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Seems like a big word. He just gave us the mission of connecting people back to God. That's why we're here. And we had to be made new in order to do that. We had to become new creatures. We had, to, we, we had to have a new creation inside of us in order to do that. So I don't know what you do. I don't know how you think you serve God. I don't know how you think about yourself as somebody who is a follower of Jesus. You may think that, well, I don't really, I don't really have any big purpose. I don't, really, I don't do church stuff. I just show up at church. Okay, That's really bad theology. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is inside of you and has has gifted you, wired you, created you to serve God and to be a part of the body of Christ and to be on mission connecting other people back to God. So this may be 
This may be a new teaching for some of you. Maybe you thought that being a Christian was just about going to church and being good. Not, you know, not overly drinking, you know, not smoking or these other things. Being a Christian was doing the right things. That's not that at all. Being a Christian is having a connection with God and having a mission to help other people connect with God. You say, well, I'm not equipped for that. Well, that's okay. That's okay. You have the Holy Spirit. If you're open and willing and offer yourself to God and say, God, use me in however, whatever way, however you want to, with whoever you want to use me with, God will use you. And part of the ministry of the church, the body of Christ together, is to equip one another to serve God, equip one another to to be on this kind of a mission. So he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Again, he says, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's a good line. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So couriers in cities usually have bikes or scooters or rollerblades, all right? In, in major metro areas, you've got couriers, and somebody in this business on this side of town has this document or has this, uh, uh, this material that needs to be delivered to the other side of town, and they call the courier. The courier comes, and they take it, and now they've got it. And once they leave the office or the building or they go out the door, they're responsible for it. It's been committed to them. They have to get it to the address and to the person it's going to. And in the same way, it says he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. I was just talking to somebody yesterday, and they were saying that um, somebody they know doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And they tried to, they tried to bring it up in the context of they were watching TV and the news was talking about politicians lying. And so the, one person said, yeah, lying is bad. This was the person that doesn't have a relationship with God. And so the other person, wanting to bring in like a spiritual idea, said, yeah, the Bible has a lot to say about that, about how bad lying is. And I thought to myself, that's not the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation is the love of God for people no matter how bad they are. Not counting men's sins against them. Not counting people's sins against them. See, we, it's been committed to us. We have this message of reconciliation. Basically, yo, did you know God really loves you? Actually, he really loves you? You know, you think of religion. You, the, pro, the hurdles you have toward religion is hypocrites in the church, uh, uh, people that are in the church. Well, hypocrites in the church are all one and the same, right? Religion is a big barrier to God, you know. Um, performance, I can never live up to the expectations of God is a big barrier to God. And, you know, being a follower of Jesus has nothing to do with any of that. Being a follower of Jesus is coming to Jesus, the one who doesn't count your sins against you and offers you freedom and offers you life, offers you love, offers you eternity. And you know what? He gets nothing in return. 
I mean, really, comparatively, we get everything, and what does he get? Us, right? I mean, you got up this morning, you looked in the mirror, right? I mean, he gets us, okay, woo, right? We get everything. We get everything. That's the message of reconciliation, that God, God loves you. God even likes you, and he wants you, and he has no expectations in fact, he so has no expectations that he just, he already died and paid for all the stuff that he knows you're just going to do anyway. It's a, it's a message of freedom. And Paul is saying that we have a ministry, so we have a job to do, but then we've got this message, we've got this good news message of reconciliation, of people coming back to God. And so the question that I saw in these next few verses is what if What if God used us? What if God used us as a church, used us to actually share with people this message of reconciliation? In fact, Paul says in verse 20, I mean, he comes right out and he says it now. He actually gives us a title. He says, therefore, based on what I've just said here, therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. We're Christ's ambassadors. And I almost see Paul as being sarcastic here. You know, it's as though God was making his appeal through us. Yeah, funny thing. It's as though God were making his appeal through us. And in fact, he is. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. For us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That has nothing to do with hypocrites in the church. That has nothing to do with religion. This has nothing to do with keeping the rules. It has everything to do about a God who loves us and brings us freedom. And shows us the way. And gives us a way out of the mess that we're in. So he ends up by saying today's the day. And he quotes from Isaiah as he, as he dumps into chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. So, who is he speaking to? The Corinthians. Are they followers of Jesus? He's assuming he's speaking to a crowd who are followers of Jesus. And he says, don't receive God's grace in vain. What might it look like for a follower of Jesus to receive God's grace in vain? Well, we just decide we're going to be a cultural Christian. Whatever culture we happen to be in, we'll just fit into it. So in a lot of American culture, if you, if you go to church, well, you must be a Christian. And if you go to church and you, you punch your card, and you remember that cartoon with the sheepdogs that protect the sheep? And they come in and they, there's this time clock on the side of the tree. How many of you remember that cartoon? Oh, thank goodness. Okay. So it's, it's like that, right? It's like we come in, we punch our card, we're in church, we go out, we punch it, and we're out. And now we're out for, for the week. That's receiving God's grace in vain. It's not believing that we're the church, but still thinking that this is the church, that we're in the church. But then we're going to leave the church. We never leave the church because we are the church. Receiving God's grace in vain is not believing that we are who Jesus says we are. 
is still believing that we're less than, that we're, that we're guilty, that we need to, we need to be, be ashamed and have guilt over what we do, not receiving the forgiveness from Christ, but still walking around as people who just are never going to measure up to a holy, awesome God. Well, that's the whole point, right? We never will, but that's why in verse 21, we just saw that we become the righteousness of God in Christ. We have a phenomenal message. It's not a message of judgment. It's a message of acceptance. It's a message of God wants us, God likes us, God loves us. It doesn't matter who you are. That's good news. That's the message of reconciliation. Receiving God's grace in vain is, is having, this, having this and not doing anything with it. Having this ministry of bringing people back to Jesus but, but not doing it. Having been given this message, we're the courier, we've been given this message, and we go out the door and uh, we just drop it in the trash can on the way out the building and then just go out and go about our business. And not actually doing something with this message or finding the person who needs to hear the message. Or thinking that the message isn't what it really is. Telling people how bad they are and how they don't measure up and how sinful they are. That's part of the gospel, right? We have to understand that we need a Savior, that we need Christ. But majoring on that so that people think that somehow they're down here and they got to live up to a certain expectation before God is going to accept them. Perverting the actual message of reconciliation. That's, that's somehow receiving God's grace in vain. And then he quotes from Isaiah. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. And Paul says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I wonder if you remember the day that you first believed in Jesus Christ. Or like the era, the time period. Right? For somebody who hasn't place their faith in Jesus Christ, it's always today. Now is always the time. God is always ready to receive people, to forgive them, to clean them up because we can't clean ourselves, and then to place us, as Ephesians says, in the heavenlies. We're elevated. We are with Jesus. So what if? What if we, um, what if we as a church owned our missionary calling to our community. So as we look ahead to the next five weeks, we're going, to do, we're going to do a vision series. And this is, again, this is something we've been working on for months. Um, what if we owned our calling as missionaries to Newton? Like we're residents, right? Some of you are lifelong residents of Newton. So I'm a resident of Newton. This is where I go to church. This is where I go to work. This is where I shop. This is where I volunteer. This is where I do this and that. We've got to rearrange the, the board here. We have to own our calling as believers that, that, we, that we've been given this ministry of reconciliation in our community. That's our job. It's like our one job, right? We have to own that. And we become, just like we talked about Norma Van Dalen from our church going to Mexico and serving. We're here, essentially from heaven, 
placed here to serve the people of Newton and the surrounding communities to bring this message of reconciliation. Not to be weirdos, right? Not to do things that tick people off. Not to be so peculiar that nobody's attracted. But we're here in our community to love people, to be with people, to live with people. So what if we owned our calling as missionaries to our community? What if we as a church carefully stewarded this ministry that we have of reconciliation? What if we as a church, what if we relentlessly shared this message of reconciliation? Again, not in a weird way. None of this is weird. If you think about Jesus and what he did, if you think about the message of the gospel, it's not weird, it's good news. It's good news. Hey, God wants you. God loves you. God wants to give you freedom and life. God is in your corner. God is for you. What if we really were the body of Christ? Like Jesus' body, here in our community, on mission. And what if that, what if being on mission in our community was more important than everything else? Think about that for a minute. I remember telling an elder at my last church years ago, we need to have a mission that we're all willing to give our lives to. He said to me, I'm never going to give my life to a mission of this church. And I, I was like, oh, well, that's a bummer. But then the, as the older I've gotten, the more I understand what he's saying. Because we all have our lives, right? We all have our families. We all have our priorities. But that's misplacing our role as the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't have our families and we don't have other priorities in our lives. But as followers of Jesus, we have one job. We've got this ministry and this message of reconciliation. It really is the most important thing. It really is. It's the reason why God kept us here. It didn't just take us up to heaven when we became friends with him. It really is the most important thing. And what if, what if that really were most important to us? And what if the church, what if we as a church discovered our identity as followers of Jesus and we embraced that identity and we owned it and leveraged it and fulfilled it? We actually became the church in Newton, the church in whatever surrounding community you live in. And what if the reality of the incarnation was expressed all year long? through us. And our community understood that because we were here, Emmanuel really was true. God with us. Emmanuel, because because that church is here, God is here. God is with us. Because I see God working through them. I see what God is doing through their lives in our community. I see that our community would not be what it is if that church didn't exist. What if all the churches in Newton could say, that the, the, the community would say that was true? That our community would be so much the worse off if that church wasn't a part of it. Why? Well, because they do this and they help in this way and they've contributed here, they've come alongside here and they've supported here. What if we were that kind of a church? What if it was all of our mission to intentionally, yet simply just love God and love our neighbor and make disciples? What if that was all our mission? 
our one job. And what if we truly believed that we, that we were the church and that this building is just a tool that we use? It's just a facility that we use. It's a, it's a ministry, it's ministry equipment. We get to use it and leverage it to be the church in our community, to serve our community, to love them, to bring that re- message of reconciliation to them. What if, what if we all worshiped privately at home in such a way that when we came together corporately, our worship together as a body was rich and full and meaningful? What if, like we said in the last few weeks, what if we spent less of our resources on ourselves and more of our resources on others? And what if we gave more of ourselves, not just our resources, but of ourselves away to others in love? And speaking of love, what if love really was the motivator and the fuel that moved all the action that Community Heights was involved in? What if it wasn't obligation or duty, but it really was love of others? I'm going to put you first. Here, here, you first. You go first. I will submit myself to you for your needs. And what if we actually believed that the most important person at Community Heights really is the, was, the one who isn't here yet, and that we were willing to go above and beyond to move heaven and earth, earth as it were, to make sure that we were ready for them when they stepped into our lives or when they stepped into our church building? What if the person who's not here yet really became the most important person? And that when we walked through those doors, we didn't think it was going to be about us. It's not about me. It's not about what I like, what I want. It's about the others. So when you come through the doors, we're we're all actually thinking, how can we serve? Open hands, open heart. Where can we serve? What can we do? God, I submit myself to you. I surrender myself to you. How can I serve? What can I do? I'm about others. I'm not about me. It would radically, it would radically change the nature of our body and the nature of our impact in our community. What if we decided once and for all to never again just play church, but to always be the church? Now, you may be somewhere in your life where you're thinking, I, I got nothing. I got nothing to contribute. I am, I'm in a world of hurt in this area of my life, in this area of my life, in this area of my life. That's why we come around each other. We support each other. We build each other up. And the truth is, again, bad theology. I don't care about the world of hurt that you're in. You've got something to contribute even out of your pain. Because God sometimes ministers the strongest to somebody who's in the pain. And he leverages that in their lives to make the lemonade out of lemons. And works in other people's lives through the one who's experienced the most pain. So if you've been through pain or if you're suffering, if you're in that club that nobody wants to be in because of what you've gone through, in a way, those of us who are in that spot, kind of like congratulations, we're qualified to help other people. We've got some depth and we've got some compassion and empathy to reach out and to help others. What if? What if all these things could be true? Well, I think they can be. We're never going to be the perfect church. But you know what? We could just die trying, right? We could die trying. So we've got a new year ahead of us. A nice, clean, 
shiny, brand new year. None of us has committed the first sin or made the first mistake or said the first crossword yet in 2019. We'll get there. Just after midnight, right? We'll get there. So the bottom line is this. 2019 is a year. Now, isn't this every year? But isn't it a year to go for broke as a church? I said months and months ago, and months ago, I reminded us that since the day this building was put up, every single year since the day this building was built, just itsy-bitsy little teensy-weensy decline of attendance. So it was going, boom, 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 and then we came into this building, and then it's been, you know what? It's time to turn it around. Not for us. But people need this message of reconciliation. People are without hope and without purpose. They're lost. They're the blind leading the blind. They're trying to feel their way in the dark. That's why we have to turn it around. And so we have to think differently. We have to do things differently. We have to have different practices. We have to have different programs. We have to have different approaches. In other words, it's that same old thing. If you always do what you always, always done, I can't even talk. If you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. So if we keep doing what we've been doing, it's pretty predictable. Predictable results. We have to, you know, N.T. Wright said, in the cosmos turned its great corner at last. I read that quote the last two Sundays. Community Heights, Right? We have to turn this great corner at last. And now that this building has been paid off, now we can start, you know, using it and leveraging it, not as the church, but as a building of the church. So people need Jesus, and we exist to bring them the message of the gospel. It's our one and only job. Now, a quick aside, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about Norma Van Dalen and giving giving, uh, and giving to her work of account. Somebody informed me this morning that if you go on our website and you go to the, to the giving tab, there isn't actually something where you can give to the work of. So there you go. There isn't. So you'll have to maybe bring it to the office or, or, or um, designate it for next week. But I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great if by, by the end of next Sunday, the first Sunday of 2019, we all gave something to the work of Norma Van Dalen? I mean, even if it's five bucks, right? We all gave something. And we gave what we could to Norma's work so that she could go to Mexico later on in 2019 in a very strong position to be supported and to help others in the ministry that they're doing there. So we had recently, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there was the the most recent um, capital funds campaign was called Released for Future Ministry. Is that correct? I wasn't here then. Yes, okay. Release for future ministry. So I've talked about this before, but this is, um, our backs are against the wall. This is it. We have, we have zero, zero excuses. We have spent months planning. We've been praying. We've been collaborating. We've had teams busy and working. Now we're ready to basically pull the trigger, go public, next week, the next five weeks, and talk about what do we want to be as a church in the next five years? We're in a phenomenal position. So many people in America, not even around the world, so many people in America 
would love to be in a position that we're in as a body. They would love to have the facility we have. They would love to have the gifted people we have. They would love to have the lack of indebtedness that we have. They would love to have the community that's parched, that needs the water of the gospel that we have right here. They would love it. So release for future ministry is over. You hit that one. Bullseye. You paid off the debt. So the future ministry is now. It's now. And it's go time. It's go time now. Okay? So don't come to me or our elders or our ministry leaders and say, oh, why are we changing this? Or I don't like that. We don't have time for that stuff. Because people need Jesus. And we're going to start changing some things. Now, there are rules to, there are rules and kind of laws of leadership principles that you follow. You know, there's change principles in any organization. We have to be wise and we have to be respectful of each other and we have to communicate. We have to try to follow those, do the best we can. We're going to make mistakes as a church. We're going to make mistakes as leadership. You're going to make mistakes as volunteers. You're going to make mistakes as volunteer leaders and ministry leaders. Make mistakes. Let's make mistakes trying instead of just sitting on our hands and continuing to do what we've always done so that we don't rock the boat or get the person next to us upset. We're the body of Christ, folks. It is go time for community heights. Lift your heads up. (laughs) You know, beat yourself in the chest a little bit and say, yeah, God's put us in a good position. God's given us a great opportunity. And Paul said, Paul said, Christ's love is going to compel you. You've got the ministry. You've got the calling. You've got the message. You're a new creation. You're new. You can do it. It's just time to go. So we're going to start. Now, you know, you're not going to show up next week and, oh, it's a whole new situation. No, I wish it were. And if you've got, I've said this before, if you've got concerns about Community Heights, I have ten times as many i got a lot of concerns about this place. All in good time. All in good time. We work together. We do it together. We support each other, love each other, forgive each other. Work together. Because it's not about community heights. It's not about us being any kind of a church. It's about the people in the community. It's about Jesus and the message he's given us. And it's about people with no hope. That's our mission. That's our job. Our job is not to make our church bigger. That's dumb. Our job is to reach people for Jesus, to help people who are hurting. Paul, oh my goodness, just read Paul's letters. He basically writes the same letter over and over to all these different communities where he's been in. We've got a mission and we've got an opportunity. So, you guys, I'm excited. I'm excited as this new year starts. And... um, We are very dependent as church leaders on all of us, all of us. The success of the mission of Community Heights is dependent upon the fully integrated and involved participation of every follower of Jesus in this church because the Holy Spirit is going to work through every single person, all hands on deck, everybody's needed. So with that, let's pray together, and we are going to share communion together um, and take a few moments as we take this, this bread and this juice to remember, uh, 
this is, an, this is part of it too. This is what Jesus went through. We've got to honor the sacrifice by taking the message that that sacrifice purchased and stewarding it well. So let's remember the sacrifice now uh, with this bread and the, this juice. I want to invite those who are going to help serve to come up at this time. Uh, just go ahead and come on up so that you're ready. And then we're just going to come forward. Uh, there's gluten-free bread in the back at that table in the center uh, if you need that. Otherwise, um, you can just come forward, rip the bread off, and uh, dip it into the juice, and remember the body and blood of Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning grateful for the new life you've given to us, grateful for being new creations, grateful for forgiveness and for your love and for the fact that you don't hold our sins against us. And Lord Jesus, you're able to forgive, and Father, you are able to forgive from your throne of holiness and righteousness because of the sacrifice that you made, God the Son. So Lord, as we take this bread and this juice, we remember the suffering, we remember the cross, we remember the moment in time when Jesus cried out, it is finished. Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. Lord, we remember those things. And we're grateful for the sacrifice. Help us, God, to afresh and anew appreciate the cross. In Christ's name, amen. You're welcome to come forward.